Joining me again this week on District Divided is Kadeen Wiggins, who at this point, frankly, is essentially a co-host. He's been on as much as I have, and I'm on every single episode. Kadeen, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, overall, in a much better mental space than I have been. Um, doing your podcast actually helped out a lot with that as far as just um, giving me more hope because it's uh, a lot of people reached out to me after I did that. And uh, I, I really, once again, thank you for the platform. But the conversations that have been happening since then have been really, really good ones. They make me think like things can actually change. Well, you know, as we had said last week, your ability to string together many different thoughts and create a story out of it. So you're not only providing facts, but you're providing your own experiences. It makes it incredibly, incredibly powerful. And many people have reached out to me to say thank you, Kadeen, because they learned a lot. They got the opportunity to see the world through your eyes. And that is invaluable, right? Because then all of a sudden people with questions where they go, hey, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Or... I don't know how I feel about this. All of a sudden they go, okay, this makes a whole lot more sense now. So thank you for taking the time to be on with me, with us, and just providing perspective to all the listeners. I appreciate it. It, it, it helps me with that uh, confidence aspect because usually I think I just talk too damn much, but I appreciate you and everyone else for it. <laughs> well, excellent. So instead of uh, continuing to suck each other off, why don't we just get straight into it? <laughs> Since we last spoke, it was about 10 days ago now, uh, a lot has happened. So protests have continued and some br police brutality, excuse me, have has also continued. And so yeah. what has changed in the last 10 days? Has there been any significant progress since we've last spoke? I think that's the big thing is the, 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 the key word I would use in that is significant, right? Because, I mean, um, I, I kind of alluded to it when we did – or I, I know I alluded to it uh, when, I, when, I, when we spoke last is that the way that I look at this entire situation for the most part is like um, a tale of two things. And it's one thing usually overlaps with the other and makes like a, just a shit sandwich. But I look at the police brutality as one particular issue and I look at racism as another issue. It's just what happens is a lot of times the racism – seeps over into the police brutality, which is where you get a lot of these powder cat kind of moments. Um, I'd say that there have been inroads made as far as like the collective consciousness of people, like seeing things on social media and having the conversations that are having right now and seeing some of the changes that have been made. Like I give a lot of credence to the fact that things are at least getting somewhat better on that first step of those 12 steps. Like we was talking about uh, last episode with like the AA thing, admitting that there that you have a problem. Um, when I'm looking at the videos of like young white teenage girls cursing out their parents for being racist in Alabama, I'm like, OK, that that's significant stuff. When I when I see the statues coming down across the country, I think that's significant stuff. When I'm seeing NASCAR uh, banning the Confederate flag, I say that's a significant thing as far as looking at where we are with a collective consciousness, at least admitting that we do have problems. Now, when I say that significant part. Yeah, it is significant as far as where it is we're looking at everything, but I also think that we are nowhere, I mean nowhere on any scale, um, have we done enough to really curb or solve these issues as much as getting to that first step. Maybe we've done a lot, but there's still a lot of other people out here that are still fighting against it. There's still a lot of other people that have their earmuffs on, not trying to listen or being so ignorant that they're still stuck in their ways, but... um. I think that we're in a good start. We're in a good jumping off point. If we can keep up this sort of momentum and keeping things, in the collective cautious of people and checking people on their ignorance, then I think that we're in a good place to really get some other things to happen. 
But uh, as long as we still got this dude in the White House, which uh, like I said last episode, not a fan of. I can actually say I fucking hate the man. Um, it, it, it's still difficult to really get that first step all the way through. But I, I do like a lot of what I'm seeing. It's just still a part of me has that little bit of cynicism in the sense of, okay, these are all really nice gestures and they're good symbol symbols as far as things go. But have we are have we really made significant progress? I don't know because I just look at a few days ago. Uh, was it Rayshard Brooks shot and killed in a Wendy's parking lot three times or twice in the back? While it's not the same issue as the George Floyd situation, as far as looking at all the details of it, it's still a situation in which it shouldn't have happened. So as long as those things are still happening, you can still say we've got a long fucking way to go. And so let's take that next step forward in that case. So there has been some significant progress, as you said, but there's also just been progress in general, which maybe not as far as we would like it. And so taking that next step, what are some solutions that you're seeing being implemented right now that you like? And then on the flip side, how about solutions being implemented right now that you dislike? I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, Now, the thing is, is that when we talk about like the solutions, right, it's very, very piecemeal and it's scattered across the country. It depends on who you're talking to as far as whether it be the plan or the policies that are being implemented. There are so many different campaigns, whether it be the uh, the campaign zero uh, deal, which I think I mentioned last podcast, as far as they have their list of things that they're looking towards uh, changing. You had uh, the the, the conference with Barack Obama and his foundation as far as some of the things that they are, they're looking at changing. You have Donald Trump released his own police reform uh, order. You have the Democrats uh, have done things in Congress as far as they have their bill that they passed. You have the Republicans in the Senate that have their own ideals of things to pass. Like there, there are significant things that, or let me reverse as far as the significant. There are things that there are policies and changes that are kind of being implemented or at least being discussed. But they run this gamut of things where, like, what I do, there's not necessarily a lot of the policies I don't necessarily like, but it's like, I feel as though none of them are really going far enough. Probably Campaign Zero might be the closest that I've seen. Um, and, And we'll go through probably a little later as far as like that individually, individual steps. But a lot of like, even what I'm seeing with the Trump bill. The Trump bill stuff is just implementing a lot of things that he was responsible for canceling. I mean, back during uh, 2014, 2015, after what happened with Michael Brown and Ferguson, Eric Holder, the attorney general and Barack Obama, they they did do a lot in one sense as far as actually trying to look and solve these issues. So they started doing all these uh, investigations and data driven things in all these police jurisdictions across the country to to really see where it is that we could implement some some changes. Um, they, they, they they declared, I think it was 15 consent decrees, which sort of forced certain jurisdictions to implement certain things. But a lot of it was just information or fact gathering. I mean, um, the places that did implement uh, the, 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 the some of the stuff, like the loose, uh, the limits of use of force, uh, looking at uh, de-escalation training, things along those lines, you do actually see, I think, across those states that from the number was correct. I'm trying to do all this off of memory, but everybody can fact check me if you want to. Uh, I think it was a 21% reduction in uh, police and in, uh, in police involved shootings, which is like, all right, 20 percent. We're we're doing pretty good. But only like I said, only 15 jurisdictions were actually forced to do any of this stuff. The rest of it was just information or fact gathering. And a lot of the implementation or a lot of the changes are along the same lines of what Donald Trump is talking about in his um, in, in the sense of, like I said, that the escalation, uh, de- use of de-escalation as far as force um, or having cops 
have more de-escalation training so that they don't escalate certain situations. Um, getting rid of like the funding of uh, federal funding or federal giving of military grade weapons and equipment to police departments. Like some of that stuff was done, but. During Donald Trump's presidency, he had Jeff Sessions basically cut almost all that stuff. All the consent degrees went away um, early on in the administration. You had uh, uh, the qualified immunity stuff that we were talking about, uh, that that, that Eric Holder and stuff were talking about as far as uh, qualified immunity, if you don't know, is the ability when a cop uses excessive force that they have the opportunity to potentially uh, suffer from a lawsuit or get sued. Uh, Qualified immunity grants them immunity from a lot of those situations in a lot of different cases. While they still do, police departments do get sued a lot, there are a lot of people that could sue the police department for a lot of different things, and they're not able to because of of this qualified immunity. Donald Trump has done everything he could do to to rail to scale almost all of that back. What you're seeing right now with what he's doing is sort of implementing the things that he already cut away. Or if we we look at some of the other things that he's even talking about, and I think the Republicans agree with it too, is like the the national database, which is uh, a national database, which on surface level sounds like a really good idea. It is a good idea to to have uh, records of police misconduct across the country um, to, to make sure that uh, if you have a cop, which you have a lot of these situations where you have a cop that might have had nine cases of misconduct, maybe he gets fired from one police department, but then he just goes to another one because they don't really do a background check and he's good to go. So a national database of seeing these things are good. But if you look at Trump's police order or this, his executive order, it's not mandatory. All he does is really incentivize them by giving them money to then do these things, which I think is not anywhere near far enough. And you, you, if you don't make it mandatory, you don't have all police departments mandatorily doing this, then, okay, you give them more money. A lot of them already have enough money, and I don't necessarily think giving them more money to buy equipment and other things are, are necessarily steps in the right direction. So I just think across almost all lines, what we're seeing as far as from a policy stuff is, all right, some of these, all these things look like they're steps in the right direction, but Really, it's just implementing things that we've already talked about for the last 10 years. Some things have been implemented, and while I can look at like a 21% reduction in police brutality cases or police-involved shootings, 20% is not enough. It's not enough at all. Like, I don't want to go back to where we were six years ago, Just That, to me, is a waste of time. Like, I don't want to just go back to there. We were still having issues throughout there. When Michael Brown's situation happened, what happened right after? Freddie Gray, I'm living here in Baltimore. There's still businesses still uh, burnt down, stuff from the riots that have there. There's still a deep wound in Baltimore as far as that stuff goes. But I, I just, my problem is, is that we're we're doing all, you have the president, you have a lot of people in Congress thinking that they're doing a lot, but they're not really doing anything except going back to the way things were a few years ago. And I don't think if you talk to majority of black people or people in general, they think that we would have gone far enough. It's nowhere near far enough. And I'm sure you would have noticed uh, just another you know, bit of positivity in talking about qualified immunity that uh, Colorado recently signed SB 217 into mm-hmm. law, which ended qualified immunity for police, heavily restricting use of tear gas and projectiles yep. on citizens, which you would never really expect that that should be a thing anyway. But here we are. Yeah. And then it introduces criminal charges for cops who don't intervene in excessive force cases. So in the case of George Floyd, for example, now those cops have to intervene. So it's a very big step in the right direction. So some of that significant progress that, you know, you had mentioned earlier, just chiming that in as no, well. And that's that's accurate. I mean, that, but that's what I say is that, like, it's so hard to kind of follow because there's so many local police departments doing these things, which are like they're, they're big deals. Right. Um, and you want to give credit where credit's due, but 
if we're looking at it overall, like are we moving collectively in the right direction? I don't know. Well, like, progress is being made, but is it significant enough? I look at even years ago, what happened in, I think I brought it up on the last podcast, what happened in Camden, New Jersey. In Camden, New Jersey, they had a severe problem with police brutality and a huge crime rate in the same city. And they disbanded the police department. And this is almost, I think going on almost 10 years now ago is when they did it. And all these officers had to reapply to their jobs to uh, with with new guidelines, new requirements, new training. Crime has gone down in Camden. Police brutality cases are almost non-existent in Camden. Like, that's a significant thing. But it's also something that happened almost a decade ago in one town. See what I'm saying? Like, Minneapolis, after what happened with uh, what happened uh, recently with George Floyd, they've the city council decided to disband the police department, which is along the same lines of what they're doing in Camden. Like, go back to the ground up and see how it is that we really need to look at policing. Those are good things. What you're talking about, Colorado, uh, Los Angeles, I know that they uh, took $300 million, I think, away from the police department to put more into community things. Uh, that Those are good steps. There, there are significant steps. But overall, I guess my black cynicism just sort of peaks every once in a while. We're saying that, like, hey, great, I'll give you a little pat on the back. But Lord knows we need some nationalized things going. We don't need this to be piecemeal. We have to have everyone kind of on the same page. Oh, absolutely. Because there are definitely times and situations where, you know, I'll make a plan for the week, for example. And, you know, if I have a good first two days, I celebrate and all of a sudden I get complacent. We cannot right. get complacent right now. We need to keep riding the momentum, keep pushing. Instead of having it be a moment, have it be a movement. It makes total sense there. And it scares me, man. It scares the hell out of me that that's what, it, like, it, I feel like, you start seeing glimpses of it every once in a while again. Like, I know that online, like, it's Juneteenth today that we're recording. And uh, I saw a lot of people doing what it is they need to do. Some people kind of awkwardly trying to figure out what to post. Like, do you post happy Juneteenth? Like, they're not sure. But over the course of last week, like, the uh, from when we went, when we last recorded 10 days ago, and everybody kind of on, like, the Blackout Tuesday, no matter how you felt about the mismessaging and that, like, a lot more people were vocal Whereas I'm seeing a lot more back to normal. Here's my yoga videos from what I did today. Here's my meal prep. Like there's a lot more kind of going back to normal. And the more that now we're talking about sports and I know that there's a lot happening in the sports landscape. I kind of alluded to NASCAR. We don't know what's happening with the NBA. Like, and there's still coronavirus coming back. There is always the chance that I'm really afraid of that this will just go back to where we were. I remember you telling me um, on the, la the last time that we recorded that like, you remember, like, back when the Eric Garner situation, all that was happening, like, we all thought about it, we all knew it was bad, but give it a few weeks and we were going right back to NBA playoff talk, you know what I mean? So it's like, is it going to stick? I have a lot of faith in Generation Z. I have a ton of faith in Generation Z that they will do things differently and that it won't just be lost on them. But every once in a while when I hop online and just see what people are talking about, I'm kind of like, all right, this does run that risk that we just go back to quote-unquote normal again because not everybody's on the same page and shit needs to change and what i don't want to see happen is that we need to be collectively reminded to kind of get back involved again when another person dies which is why i feel like over the course of last week there have been a lot less people talking about this until the rashard brooks situation happened a couple a few days ago then there's a collective oh wow we really need to look at this again and it's like i don't need more people to die for us to have this on our conscience that makes total sense. It should not be a result of deaths that we're doing this. It should be because it's just the right thing to do, right? I mean, right. that's that's the main focus here. And 
Um, you know, I, I took your advice. I did some homework. I turned off the office. I listened to some Malcolm X. And, it, you know, it is amazing how how many similarities still exist, right? I mean, the guy got assassinated for what he believed. And then Martin Luther King followed soon after once he sort of woke up uh, after his I Have a Dream speech and realized that they're still in a nightmare despite all yep. that. Next thing you know, he's gone. So, you know, expect the expect society and the distractions of society that includes sports, that includes being able to go outside again and go to that bar, go to that restaurant. Expect it, those forces, not just the people, but expect those forces to fight back and just be ready for that. Gear up for that and keep doing your part. And together we can actually make a huge long-term difference here. Like, this is why what you're doing right here with having this conversation is so important, is to keep the conversation going, right? Like, there is the cynic part of me that thinks, regardless of how I know that you did everything to make sure that uh, that last podcast spread, and it did spread like wildfire in the sense of everyone kind of being plugged in. Like, my fear is that when we do this podcast, which is just as important, if not more important than the last one, will it get the same numbers? You see what I'm saying? Like, are people still plugged in the way they need to? Or is there a fatigue that sets in? Because you see the fatigue setting in even with the pandemic. I look around and I'm seeing people wearing their mask on their chins. Like, that's where the virus comes in because the fatigue just sets in. Like, you're just sick and tired of hearing about the same thing over and over again. So you, you kind of wash it off or this is just too much and you, you, you kind of disregard or you downplay it or what have you. We can't do that. This is where we need to continue to ramp things up the conversation needs to be happening more than ever right now especially because these distractions are coming in so i applaud you for keeping the conversation going more than anything you are a true ally especially in that sense that you're keeping the conversation flowing because we have to do that we absolutely have to do that tell you what i was going to save this part of the conversation for later but since we're already on on this topic of fatigue, because that happens with everything. It wouldn't just be for this movement. It, like you said, it's happening with the pandemic. It happens when you put in three straight great days of work and that fourth day you go, you know what, I can chill a little bit. Fatigue is very real and it is absolutely a factor in this movement. So Kadeen, where do we go from here? We've talked about the past, what happened in the last 10 days. We talked about the present, what solutions are being implemented right now that you like and dislike. Let's talk about the future. So where to from here? What do you want to see moving forward? It sounds like, and I'm not going to steal all your answer here, but it sounds like obviously <laughs> keep the discussion going. That's very, right. very important. Keep the momentum going. But what else do we need to do? Where to? Well, see, that's the thing is that like right now, there's still that collective kind of, as far as like trying to figure out what it is we do next. Like there's still a lot of energy. And I think that that's where I kind of look at this almost generationally, like everyone has their job, right? You have the protesters. They're there to continue to keep the energy up. You got some people that just they don't they don't function in that sort of mind frame. You need more of the visionaries, the ones that have ideas that can then uh, they can implement that they can uh, get their ideas formulated and have good ones. Then you need people that can amplify those voices and those ideas. I think everybody has a part to play. My part right now is to try to organize as best as I can through uh, people across all levels and just communicate with them and figure out where these best ideas are. And then we figure out exactly how it is to implement. So like 
everyone has their own thing that they need to do. I think a lot of people right now still need that education aspect of it. So, like, I applaud you for what you did as far as, like, looking back and going through the Malcolm X uh, speeches and reading up and watching and, and figuring out stuff about him and seeing how things haven't changed. That's an important part of it. Some people need to kind of just be more informed in keeping up with the history of things. Um, you have people that already know the history and they need to – uh, be able to funnel that energy into something, which is like the protest, which is to keep things in the collective conscience of people. So there are people that need to go out there and they need to do that. I look at my nephew, uh, Gen Zer, full of energy, goes to Ivy League school, and he's just full of energy, but his ideas aren't necessarily the best. So you have people like me who might have more ideas that just need to be able to get those people with energy to then do the next things, which is like from a generalization standpoint, everybody kind of knows we need you to register to vote. We need people to be informed in their local elections. And what we need is that we need to have a list of things that will actually change things. They can work on a policy level, but we need to elect people that will actually do those things for us. So you have to be plugged into the political process. I think that is probably the most important thing. That's how things change in this country. You have to be plugged in. You have to vote for the right people. You have to get those people to implement those changes. So like what I've been doing over the course of the last how many weeks have been really looking at ideas and things that need to be implemented to, 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 to change things. Um, a lot of what I've been doing kind of falls in line with what I've been seeing with the campaign zero. Um, it's been uh, a lot of educating people on things as well. Like uh, we talked about the messaging behind the defund the police, which on surface level sounded like, Oh my God, I don't, nobody wants to defund the police. Like we want police still. Right. But um, that message is still needs clarification with some people. So it's like explaining those things. Um, if you want me to, I have this list right here that I can kind of breeze through. If you want, if you have any questions on anything, I can kind of go through it a little bit. Um, it's it's sort of like a rough overview. I didn't want to get too detailed with it and lose anybody by getting boring. Uh, would you mind if I went through some of those things? Please do. I do not mind. All right, cool. So like um, when we're talking about, like I said, I, I look at these things as like two separate deals, like the police brutality and also the racism. And like I said, the racism floats over into police brutality a lot. With racism, I'd love to do a podcast with you as far as like how to really work on that. But I think for right now, I want to stick on the police brutality aspect of things. Now, when I go through this list, I want you to also notice that like there's not a lot of me saying anything black or African-American, Afro-American in this. It's things that will help everyone, but especially people in communities like my own that are kind of over-policed on how it is we change these things and change the relationship between the police and the community, kind of work on these things together. And with that, you can kind of get rid of any aspect where even if you had a cop that was racist, to remove the ability for him to harm someone with his racial thoughts is kind of where I want to be at. I don't know if you can easily solve racism, people's beliefs, their belief system, their fears. But what I can do is prevent someone with racial thoughts from killing me. Or killing someone that looks like me. And that's what I want to work on is removing their ability to do actual harm. Think anything you want, but I don't want you to use your thoughts to then put me in a box. So, like, I, I, once again, going kind of off of what the Campaign Zero deal does, um, I kind of, the way I'll break it down is I'll kind of go through what Campaign Zero has as far as their 10, and I'll float over what my ideas are as far as uh, what, what it looks like. So, one of Campaign Zero's uh, 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 things as far as uh, police accountability or what it is that we need to look policy-wise is end, uh, the first one is end broken pol windows po policing. Broken windows policing being uh, a lot of what people understand is um, 
in New York, especially with uh, Mayor Giuliani and what they did was like get really, really tough on crime. With uh, broken windows policing, you had a lot of uh, situations where they were going entirely crazy with uh, writing up everyone for every sort of crime. And all the interactions were really, really negative because they're charging people with stuff that aren't really that big a deal. So, like, if somebody wants to drink a beer in their in their in their brown paper bag on the way home, they're not hurting anybody. Why do you need a cop cracking down that hard on them? Things like marijuana possession, disorderly conduct, trespassing, loitering, disturbing the peace, spitting, jaywalking, bicycling on a sidewalk. There are things along those lines which is like, all right, you're going a little too far with the hard tactics that you have when it comes to that, when it comes to policing those things. it's You should be putting people in handcuffs because they're drinking a beer and not behind the wheel of a car because they're just walking down the street because you want to make the area look nice. But I'll get, that, that's even me going too far there on that. Uh, number two is community oversight. And what I've been looking at with community oversight is that there's a lot of situations where, and it doesn't make any sense to me, you have these police departments that are supposed to be protecting these communities, and yet the community doesn't really have a whole lot of say in like what they're doing or how it is that they're doing what they're doing. Like, um, you need councils possibly of people within the community that are part of the policy changes. Um, I'm looking at like independent community boards of people representative of the populations that they have there in their cities really being a part of what changes happen from a reform standpoint, to actually talk to people. Um, it's one thing as far as the voting aspect of just getting political candidates out there. But right now, when we're looking at wholesale reform, we need to go directly to the people, whether it be you get your elders in the community, get your young people, get a nice collective group of people together to sit down with police to really oversee what it is they're doing as far as these changes go. Number three on the list is uh, limited use of force. I think everybody's on the same page as that. There's no reason why cops should still be implementing chokeholds. It, it doesn't make any sense. There's uh, situations where even when you look at the Rashard Brooks situation where, yeah, in Georgia, they consider a taser to be a deadly weapon. But should it be when a guy just turns around and blind fires it that he gets shot twice in the back while he's running away? That's not a use of force that I think is anywhere near a responsible level for what is the risk that the cops are kind of taking in that. We really need to look at that loose use of force aspect. Uh, number four is independently investigate and prosecute, which is a huge part of things. Um, right now, if you have cops that commit crimes, the cops that work with those cops are the ones that investigate and prosecute. It doesn't make any sense. So like what I've looked at is, um, let me pull up here on my sheet, is looking at a situation in which we have independent prosecutors and investigators that do not function within that police department in a particular municipality. Maybe they fall under the mayor, maybe they fall under the governor, who knows? But there needs to be an independent group that investigates police misconduct and then prosecutes them accordingly. That personal bias that a lot of cops have when they're investigating one of their own needs to not exist. How can you not have bias? But People look at law enforcement as though they're like some gods or something like they're not they're, they're not able to just have those human thoughts and emotions. If you have somebody that you have gone on patrol with for years, you have them over for dinner, you, you, you become family with these people. How are you supposed to have an unbiased opinion when you're investigating them for doing something wrong? Under no circumstances should that be the case. So you need independent prosecutors, and independent investigators looking into these situations and handling it that way. Um, number five on the list is community representation, which is another thing that I've wrote about a lot. 
which is that you have a lot of situations where cops almost seem like an occupying force in a war-torn area. When I did the police ride-alongs here in Baltimore, and I, I think I told the story in this podcast, I don't know, I've told the story a lot, where I was talking to the officer about all the plainclothes white guys that I was talking to, plainclothes white cops that I was talking to, and they didn't look at all like the people that were that they were patrolling there in Baltimore. And he said, hey, take a look at their tags on their cars. And we're in the middle of Baltimore, I'm seeing West Virginia plates, Pennsylvania plates, Delaware plates. They're not representative of the community. They're not a part of the community. They don't have any vested interest. They come there to collect a paycheck and they go back home. If you have people that live in the communities and are a part of the community, they grew up in the community, that should be a that should be a large part of your police force because now you you're directly tied to it. You want to see the best for your community. You're not looking at it as some aggressive like outsider that doesn't know the people that they're that they're that they're coming into contact with. You need that. Whether it's cops having to live in the neighborhoods that they patrol, which I know that they did, I think, in a city in uh, Ohio. I don't know if it was Cleveland or one of them or Columbus, where they were actually giving police officers like rent free housing in the areas where they actually patrol. So that when they came outside and they were mowing their lawn, they could say hi to their neighbors. They could see the kids in the area, what have you. I take number five on campaign zero and I actually go further than that. I think that I remember the the, the boys and girls clubs that used to have polices, police officers be the coaches for these kids. We need things like that. We need mandatory community service almost for these cops. We need cops that are really invested in the communities themselves, whether it is coaching these young boys so that you have a child look up to that officer. And now you have that officer can look at this kid, not as just some about to be criminal, but it's like a, a, a kid, a kid that they want to see the best for. You have to have that, whether it's cops working with communities on uh, trash pickup in parks or building playgrounds. They need to be working hand in hand with the community. Less talk, less cops in cars doing their patrol with that, with their windows up. You need cops that walk a beat, talk to the people outside actually are involved in the community. The community representation is one thing, but we need them to be actively involved in the community, not outsiders coming in. They need to be really a part of it. And if you do things like the Boys and Girls Club, if you have cops being role models, you'll have kids grow up in areas in which they would want to be a police officer, that they look at that as a job to aspire to because they want to help their community. Right now, I know I just saw a video and it was completely emblematic of my own childhood of there was a, I think somebody had a zoom cam or something. And there's a young black kid playing basketball in his driveway. And you see him look down the street and he hides behind the car because there's a police officer in his, uh, in his SUV driving by his natural inclination because of the cost was to hide. I used to feel the same thing. Even as a kid, when you were outside playing or what have you kind of hide behind a wall, just because you don't want to be around the cops because you don't trust them. You know you've never seen this officer before, and the only time you ever see this officer is when bad shit happens. They need to be a real part of the community. Uh, number six on this list is body cameras and film the police, which is something that should be absolutely mandatory across the country. We all have smartphones with high-definition cameras. All the cops have the ability to have body cams, and you have a ton of situations where the cops accidentally decide to turn off their cameras and that they don't film stuff that happens. There needs to be enforceable laws on that. If you don't turn your body camera on or take it out of their control and just have the cameras working 24-7, look, there's tons of room for have servers all across this country where you can upload things to the cloud. There are no reasons why 
every interaction with a police officer shouldn't be filmed to be able to use in court to make sure everybody's acting above board. We've already seen situations where even when things are filmed, it's not necessarily mean that somebody's get convicted, but it helps and it keeps everybody informed on what's happening. Body cameras and film the police have to happen. There shouldn't be a choice in that. This shouldn't be left up to an officer's discretion. And if the officer decides not to do it, they need to be reprimanded. They need to be punished for doing so. Number seven is training. Now, Zero Campaign Zero has their own thing with training, but I'm kind of I'm implementing what it is they saying from a marketing standpoint and what my beliefs are when it comes to training. People talk about defund the police, and I actually, while I understand that to a very large degree, as far as I look at where the funds are going and where they should go. If it was actually up to me, I think officers should be paid more. And there's a lot of people that don't say that. But I'm a firm believer that officers need to be paid more because I think the hiring requirements need to be more. You, If you're an officer in most jurisdictions in this country, you go through maybe 20 weeks of training. Most of that training is firearms and learning the local codes, which that shit's hard to do. You need to learn how to say the codes over the radio. You need to be able to identify certain crimes and laws and what have you. They do that a lot. But there's a lot of other things that they don't do that they need to have training on. A lot of other countries across the, across the world, like you need to have basically a bachelor's degree before you become a cop. We need to have this be as a specialized thing. When I see a lot of these officers in these situations where they're quick to pull a gun or they're quick to do something stupid, it's because they lack the fortitude to do the job. The job is should be something really specialized. There's a special breed of person that should be a police officer. And I think there's a large number of officers that just don't have it in them. And it's not necessarily through their own fault. Like, they just want to be able to have a job. They want to be able to provide. But Lord knows they are out of their element. Like, I, I look at even if you want to be an FBI agent, you at least got to have a college degree. Why do we have so low expectations and requirements to be a police officer? No other job would ever let you do that. Even to be a barber, you have to do a thousand hours of training to get your to get your license to do that. Or like cosmetology school, you still have to do even more training to be a police officer. And I'm sorry, unless we're on some Sweeney Todd level bullshit, there's no reason I'll ever be afraid of my barber cutting my hair. He's not going to kill me. An officer, we give them a gun. We give them a gun. Their role and their responsibility is between life and death. Why in the world would we not have the training be proper for that? There's so much for them to learn. There's so much for them to know. The training has to be different. So when I talk about the training, I'm saying that like, when you have places like Camden, New Jersey, where they went and they disbanded the police, there needs to be a lot of that. Because we need to look through the ranks of these police and see if the only thing you have is a high school diploma and a God complex, there's no reason you should be an officer. So whether that means everybody needs to reapply or we look and we see certain officers say, okay, you can still be an officer at least to get us by for right now if you've shown this, that, and the other. But look, at the end of the day, you're still going to have to go through the training that other people have gone through. Look, de-escalation of situations, they need training on. Dealing with people that have mental health issues, they need training on. Um, There's so many situations where they escalate situations just because they don't have the training on it. I even look at the Marine Corps. I look at soldiers, when they shoot a civilian out in war, they get prosecuted. They, there's zero tolerance for that. You even see when it comes to the protests, why is it the National Guard looks so much more well-prepared and equipped to handle these situations than police officers? Because they know they don't have to use force in a lot of situations. They're trained to understand what use of force actually means. They understand their rules of engagement. 
We don't have offices that have that same level of training. We need to really look at specializing police. It shouldn't just be some job you get because you didn't feel like going to college. It shouldn't be just some job you get because, you know what, I, I flamed out at football and I just want to do something else. No, we should look at police officers the same way we looked at doctors or even pilots. Anyone where we know where the interaction is between life and death, they need the proper training to do so. Um, number eight on the list is end for profit policing, which is another thing kind of along the same lines of like the broken window stuff. And it also just speaks to the general idea of just the way the criminal justice system works. You have jails that operate through private industry where I don't know about you, but every business I know wants to increase their revenue. The only way the prisons increase their revenue is by arresting more people. So you have these officers and the relationships they have uh, between whether it be the prisons, the, the, the lawyers, the, 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 the judges, and the cops. The only way that the money keeps flowing is if they can have more crimes happen. If there are less crimes, less people make money. you got to end that aspect of it. It can't be directly tied to that sort of thing. So we have to look at this in a way of which it's a – how do I want to say it? We have to look at it in the sense of it's for the public good, not to line somebody's pockets. So those situations where you have cops that are running around searching people like they did in New York with stop and frisk so they could just get a charge. Because if they get a charge and they get somebody locked up, you just kept a lawyer paid, you kept a judge paid, you kept the uh, prison guard paid. Not only do you keep the prison guard paid, you keep the people paid that created the food to go into the prisons. Like it's all part of this just twisted way in which we look at money more than we look at human lives. We have to change the way that we think about those things. We have to change the way that we're lining or getting people paid off of the pain and suffering of people. We have to work towards actually making the making our communities and making this society a better place instead of just looking at everything to, to make a few bucks here and there. So the end for profit policing is just a huge angle of it. The a lot of these a lot of these police departments get paid because of a certain quota they meet. Everybody's heard about the quotas, right? So that's when you know more cops are on the highways to pull people over for speeding. They know the speeding happens, but they also know that if we increase this, that, and the other, we can start making more money off of it. It has nothing to do with the well-being of people. It has to keep the system continue to run. That's why in Washington, D.C., where you live, Amit, you can't go two blocks without running into a camera. And it's hard to kind of tell people that, look, it's not for safety. It's just for money. And that's what it is. It's just for money. It's to keep everybody fucking paid. And it's crazy as hell. Number nine on the list is demilitarization, which is something I've talked about and stressed constantly. I just watched a video on Twitter of a, uh, I forget what department it was. They just got an armored personnel vehicle that they use over in Afghanistan and Iraq. Why in the world do police officers need that shit? What war zones are they going to that they need tanks to go out and be able to patrol and to, to help the community out? Why do I have so many police departments have drones now? Why do so many police departments have 50 cow sniper rifles and all these other kind of crap? Of, of the Barack Obama administration with Eric Holder, they did a lot to scale that stuff back. But you had Trump put that all the way back up and ratchet all the way up again. When you had all these companies making this military equipment to go over to war, what are you going to do with it? You're not just going to decommission it. What is going to sit there and rock? You paid money for it. So what do they do? They try to recoup some of the money off of it. So they sell it to a lot of police, police jurisdictions. So when we talk about defund the police, it's not just get rid of the money. It's not get rid of the money. It's what are they spending the money on? Why do we have police officers with bayonets at the end of their rifles? What year is this? Why do we need that? The demilitarization of the police, we have to stop treating them like they're soldiers in that way and arming them to the teeth to go fight these battles like they're warriors. They got to stop that shit. 
And number 10 is fair police union contracts. Uh, the police unions right now in this country have so much power. They are basically political parties. Now, I'm a full-blown Democrat. I believe in unions, but I also believe that you got some unions that get way too big for their britches, and what they do is they're not looking at anything other than what it is that they do to protect their people, and majority of what they're looking at to protect their people is line their pockets with money. When I saw the New York police, uh, police commission, or not police commissioner, but the union up there, Mayor de Blasio's daughter got arrested, and they posted basically her driver's license with all of her information online. That's how powerful you got police unions being. They don't want to change anything because officers pay their dues. Those guys continue to get paid doing what it is that they do. They, uh, I think last time I checked the, 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 the polling with the president currently amongst police officers is like 70, 80%, which is insane. But if you look at the reason why, it's because he's keeping everybody paid. That's why they do it. You even look at the military. The military poll numbers are nowhere near that high when it comes to the president. But police know that they're going to continue to be able to line their pockets because they have someone that's going to continue to do these things. You need to have unions have kind of less control and less power in the way they do certain things. You need to be able to not have the New York police union put pressure on everybody to not hold people accountable and to have less officers in certain ways because they're just looking for ways to line their pockets with cash. And that can't be something that we do. It absolutely can't be something that we do. So those are the 10 things that are on the campaign zero. And I think that all of them are good ideas. You just got to kind of dig deep as far as where the changes go. So those are kind of my takes on what it is that we need to do to, 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 to better them. And it kind of, that's what I've been working on with a lot of people that are from my community. I've actually talked to certain police officers that agree with this as well. Um, they also want to see things like increased whistleblower protection for officers, which goes to those independent, um, those independent investigators. A lot of officers are afraid to say anything because you have other officers that are willing to hurt them. In Baltimore, they straight up would hurt you. They, they had police officers out here that were basically mafia, mafia, mafia bosses. If you speak out against us, we're going to make your life a living hell. They need to have increased protection for whistleblowers so they're not afraid of the repercussions if they were to speak out against their comrades. There are a lot of officers just afraid to speak up. And while you would call them cowards on the surface level, no, they understand. They've seen firsthand how crazy it can get with police officers. Police officers have guns. They have ways and means in which they can make your life a living hell if you get on the wrong side of them. We need to limit their ability to influence and to have that kind of power and say over people that just want to do the right thing. I think there are a lot of officers that want to do the right thing, but they can't do it because it's just, it, 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 it's dangerous for them or it limits their ability to provide for their families. So they're in that sort of uncomfortable situation. We need to help them out as best as possible. Um, I think the only other things that I probably add to that zero, that campaign zero would be just the way that cops interact with people. Um, I don't know how many situations I've had. I think I told I told the story on this podcast where I had a, one of my tag lights was out, and it ended that entire interaction ended with me sitting on a curb being threatened that they were going to bring the canine units. Why? If you have an officer that's going to pull you over, let them handle that, and that should be it. We should be trying our best to limit the interactions as best as possible. If you're if a car's driving around with uh, suspended or with uh, expired registration, officer doesn't really need to pull you over for that. Send them a ticket in the mail. Why? Why do we need to actually pull over and have that interaction with that person? You could take a picture of the license plate the same way they do when it comes to speed cameras. Send it to them. Why do you have offices that are always asking to do something more? Why, when I'm pulling over for speeding, are they asking to search my car? That shouldn't be in the training. 
They shouldn't be having to try to escalate or turn situations into something worse than it is. And we need to also have officers that just realize that, like, certain situations, they need to have a heart. It's not so black and white. There is some gray. You have to be able to look at the situation. I look at the Rashard Brooks deal. Yeah, he was in his car in the drive through line. But from what we can gather from the story, he moved from the parking space to the drive through line and fell asleep. Should he probably be punished for that? Yeah. But I understand going through his fear of like making that mistake of like going back to Wendy's to try to get some food. He's drunk, not in his right frame of mind. He gets in the car. But all they need to do is pull that car over to the side and get him home. Let him go home. He's not hurting anybody. He wasn't even really at risk of hurting anybody. He fell asleep. We need to have some sort of compassion when it comes to these things and not trying to just jimmy up crimes or... Uh, to, to create a situation where there doesn't need to be a situation. And there are other things that go along those lines, like the no-knock warrants, which is something that I know the Democrats have put inside their bill. There's no reason why we should be, where cops should be blowing down doors of people's houses without warning them. And then when you have that heightened sense of security, both on the officers being all jammed, being all uh, brave and bravado and having their adrenaline on high running these situations where you have these scared people that are just terrified about what's happening. If they make a sudden movement in the sense of Breonna Taylor, you end up dead. We need to limit the ability for the interactions to go wrong. We could do so much better with that. I know people hate the police surveillance state or this, that, and the other. Like in Baltimore right now, there's a, there's a plane that's flying above Baltimore doing surveillance. I know it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. They start talking about 1984 and this, that, and the other. But I look at that and I'm like, right now with what we're dealing with, I prefer that plane flying above head, kind of looking and seeing where crimes are and tracking and tracking people, than you have officers constantly stopping the wrong person because they think that this person fits the description of a crime. Or you have all these interactions that are just completely unnecessary and, and a lot of times lead to death and they shouldn't lead to death. Almost all these interactions you're seeing where somebody ends up dead is because of something so minor. Why was George Floyd... George Floyd had a counterfeit $20 bill. He might not even know he had a counterfeit $20 bill. I know when I go to the gas station or anywhere and I get changed, I don't have a fucking pen or one of those markers to see whether or not every bill is legit. Give him a ticket and be on your way. Why are you escalating a situation like that? They need, to, they need to be limited in the scope of what they do. If they see a crime, okay, handle that. But don't stop digging for shit. It's only to pat those numbers and pat those stats so they can say that they're being tough on crime. It doesn't solve shit. It doesn't fix the root problems of anything. All it does is keep everybody paid and in this stupid-ass system that we have. We got to limit that shit. I think I've talked enough. <laughs> <laughs> No, but thank you for that. And uh, could you quickly run through that list one more time? The Campaign yeah. Zero list, one through 10? So, one through 10, Campaign Zero. Number one, end broken windows policing. Number two, community oversight. Number three, limit use of force. Number four, independently investigate and prosecute. Number five, community representation. Number six, body cam slash film the police. Number seven, training. Number eight, end for-profit policing. Number nine, demilitarization. Number 10, fair police union contracts. Yeah, that's a totally reasonable list in my opinion. And I think anybody with, uh, you know, reasonable common sense would also agree with that on both sides of, you know, this political equation. And again, it's a human rights thing that we're talking about. It really right. isn't the politics of it. So I think everyone can get behind that list. Makes total sense to me. Now, I was thinking about 
the fatigue aspect of it while you were talking. And mm-hmm. actually, before we get there, real I made quick, made you tired. I gave you no, 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 no. <laughs> no, the exa- uh, real quick before we get there, uh, the one example of defund the police. The L.A. Police Department, right, that you had mentioned earlier would be an example of that, right? Because they take away $300 million and they reinvest it into the community. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Perfect. That is what they're doing. Yep. Perfect. Okay, so there you go, folks. That is an example of defund the police. The L.A. Police Department still exists. It was just a drop in the bucket. If you look at where it is their money, if you look at the revenue or the amount of money that the LAPD has, compared to the money that they're doing. Look, once again, step in the right direction, right? But once what we go back to as far as significant progress, $300 million towards their, I think their budget is how many, multiple billions of dollars. It's a drop in the bucket. It's a step in the right direction, of course, but they also need to be held accountable to a lot of other changes. So I want to make sure that people are holding everyone accountable, the real, actual change. Give credit where credit's due. Give somebody a pat on the back and then say, okay, Glad you did that, but don't think you're done. Fair. But that is an example of defunding the police. It is absolutely whether an example it should of defunding be, the police, yes. Right. So whether it should be more or not, I would agree that that is a discussion to have. But that is an example of defunding the police. On to the fatigue aspect of things. Black Lives Matter. Who's the leader of it? There is no leader. Okay. I think if there were a leader, uh, this is my argument, I think mm-hmm. the fatigue would not be an issue anymore because we follow people. More than anything, there are movements, certainly, but when there is a single person or two people in charge where I can just Twitter search that person's name and see what they're up to that day, I think there's a lot of power in that. We wait for that person to speak. We listen to that person's words. We feel everything. Again, when I was listening to Malcolm X, my goodness, the energy he presented. Right. That smile, million dollar smile. These little things matter. I want to know who it is that's going to be doing the negotiating at the end of the day. What are your thoughts on that? Where's Malcolm X? Gone. How did he go? Assassination. Martin Luther King, where is he at? Gone. Uh, You want me to keep going through examples? (laughs) No. Like, I get the idea of wanting a leader, but um, I can understand that. Usually, if you have somebody charismatic enough, you can you 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 can get somebody that has like that they they can champion people or give that have people follow. I get it. I understand that that the draw to that, but there's a couple elements to it where I'm just gonna get really blunt. Okay, um, I'm gonna sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I hate conspiracies and I hate conspiracy theorists for the most part. But I just want you to let me. I want people to understand where my mind frame is. If you do a little bit of digging, you do some research. After the protests in Ferguson, there were a lot of activists that were really active in the protests there. A lot of them are dead. I look at even what's happening right now where you have one or two activists that have been outspoken recently. I think it was a case of the woman in Florida who ended up found dead. Not to mention we're seeing across the country um, black men and women being found hanged from, hung from, hanged from trees, and they're saying they're all suicide. There was the one case of a guy in uh, in California who got found like two blocks away from City Hall, hanged from a tree out in the public. And now I think yesterday his brother was shot and killed by the police in an interaction. There is a certain element of black people. I'm not going to speak for all of us, but I'll definitely speak for myself, which you're scared to really step out because they usually stuff us out. So there is an element that like, look, we've had leaders before. Where are we? 
Did we get the right to vote? Yeah. Do we have Civil Rights Act? They can't discriminate us from walking into an establishment? Okay. But we still got a ton of other issues. If you would talk to Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, they'd be like, if you could browse them up and ask them and just show them what's happening right now, they'd be like, what the fuck? I thought we'd at least made some more progress in this shit. It didn't go anywhere. They snuff out our leaders almost all the time. I'm just a fan of saying that everybody has their part. We got to kind of be a part of a collective because you can't kill a collective. We need to. We need people to be accountable to themselves. Yeah, I had a conversation with you as far as watching Malcolm, uh, doing more research and doing your history, right? But that's on you to do that. Everybody has to be accountable to themselves. We can't just say fatigue's just something that sets in. We have to be accountable to ourselves. You got to hold your friends accountable. It's up to each and every one of us. The fact that we still have these issues still prevalent is an indictment on all of us. Now, I'd say mostly people that don't look like me because, I mean, we didn't invent racism. And it's not really an obligation that we have to try to teach people how to stop that shit. We didn't start it. So there is this fatigue that we have from constantly having to tell people. There's a fatigue that we have from seeing all of our leaders that do step up fucking dying. We have the fatigue. If there are other people that have some sort of fatigue because they're sick and tired of seeing the same thing on Facebook, get the fuck over yourself. you got to get more plugged in than that. That's why I'm saying that I need to hold people accountable. That's why my cynicism still gets raised. That's why when I talked to you last time, I talked about how in, in, when Martin Luther King was marching, he was a lot more afraid of the North than the South. There are people everywhere that are just sitting by the wayside looking for something else to complain about or looking for something else to hold their attention. It's an indictment on all of us. We need to do better. Each and every one of us needs to do better. That's what we have to do. There shouldn't be up to anybody to get us riled up about this. People are dying. I might when my when I was first gonna do when before I did the way I mean me and you've done this podcast or I've been a guest on your podcast um, quite a few times we were talking about sports right but I think one of the reasons you asked me to come on about the Black Lives Matter thing is because of the video I posted on Facebook is that correct that is correct right well, before I posted the video on Facebook my dad me and my dad were having a cigarette outside and I'm still trying to quit smoking I got a vape just to let anybody know that but me and my dad were outside and he said are you sure you want to do it. And I said, what? He said, look, a lot of people listen to you when you speak. You have a way of connecting with people. And if you post that video, you know you just might have made yourself a target. My dad had to tell me that shit. And it was something I already thought about. It's the only reason I hadn't made a video so many years before. It's the reason I was always afraid on Instagram or Facebook to even post something. Because I have the fear. I almost feel like the reason I'm doing this podcast is just because I feel as though there needs to be a movement bigger than me. I don't want to be a fucking martyr. I don't want to die for anything other than protecting my family. I don't want to die for that either. I don't want to die. But I feel like I, there's, a, there's a case of like reluctance to do this shit because I'm afraid. I'm terrified of being some leader in this because they don't like us. We don't get to survive this shit. I don't want to do this. I just feel as though I have no choice because nobody else is stepping up in that way. It's the only reason I'm doing it. And if you talk to Martin Luther King and you talk to Malcolm X, those are two very distinct cases of reluctant leaders. They didn't want to be the guy, especially Martin. He felt he had no choice. He had to. We need more people to step the fuck up. We need more people to step the fuck up in allyship and as far as bringing attention to this shit. 
I don't want to die for this shit. I don't want anybody else to have to die for this shit. But if that's the case of people just tuning out because their attention spans aren't fucking long enough, that upsets me more than maybe anything else. People are dying every day. We got to get past that shit. It's one of the reasons I'm not for sports even coming back right now. And I do a fucking sports podcast. I love sports. But I'm like, I don't want any more distractions. If we're going to deal with this shit, then we got to deal with it now. Because I'm afraid that people are going to let me down again. Because that's what we always do. Heck, former NBA player and star Steven Jackson said the same thing. He doesn't want sports to come back because it's going to detract from all the work that's happened right now. People are going to get back into that bubble, a bubble I described that I am admittedly a part of and trying to distance myself from at the same time. So it makes total sense that we would not want that to come back. And on the subject of leadership uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement, I really liked your answer. I did not think of it from the perspective of they are immediately becoming targets. So now there's police, now there's cell phones, because if your video happens to, I guess, blow up, so to speak, all of a sudden you're a target. That is something yep. I did not even have to think about, right? And so that is an example of privilege from my end. Dude, I tell everybody that I know is protesting, I'm like, wear a mask. And it's not just because of COVID. I'm saying, don't tell people who the fuck you are. Don't tell them. It's like, keep it anonymous as best as possible. That's why I love that, like, while I might not agree with everything they do, anonymous as far as a collective, kind of look at Black Lives Matter as like anonymous. It's a movement. Like, when I was explaining it last week, it's a movement, it's an idea, it's a hashtag. If they get bogged, people try to... What I'm seeing a lot that's happening on the right, and I just say that politically, it's not all people on the right, but especially like Fox News, I'm watching Tucker Carlson, and he's calling Black Lives Matter a political movement. They're trying to categorize it so they know how to dismantle it. If you kill the leaders, you can kill a movement. It happened a lot. That's why the FBI was actively investigating Martin Luther King and Malcolm X during those time periods. COINTELPRO. All these sort of situations. That's why the FBI even had a field office investigating hip-hop music throughout the 90s. It wasn't just because of East Coast, West Coast beef. It was because they were looking at certain people in that community and saying, huh, could this person rile up enough people to be a leader, do this, that, and the other? People are out right now criticizing guys like J. Cole and Kendrick for not speaking that much. But like I said, everybody has a part to play. If you want to wonder where Kendrick Lamar has been on, on, on this subject, pick up any one of his albums. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't necessarily want to be in the street drawing a big eye to him because he's probably going through the same thing mentally that I'm going through. J. Cole's out there actually in the streets, and he ain't putting no camera on himself while he does it. There's a careful balance. That's why you see like uh, Kyrie Irving in the NBA, and they're trying to figure out how it is they need to do this comeback. You got some of the NBA players saying, all right, well, maybe if we use this platform in the right way, maybe we could draw more awareness to this thing. Because Lord knows when we had the I Can't Breathe t-shirts on back in 2015, all the NBA players were wearing, it didn't really solve shit. So it's like, what can we do? Do we do more of the same? Is it more? Should we all take a knee during the national anthem? Should we not even play the national anthem? Should we all be wearing t-shirts? How do you properly protest to keep things in the collective? Are you going to say Black Lives Matter every time you shoot a free throw? Like, I don't know. Like, how do we properly use what platforms we have to keep this thing going? Because keep going back to normal sounds so terrible to me. I just, I, I don't want us to go backwards ever on this. Oh, no, it's been established that normal is not good because, right. right, once we got to look under the hood, and that's what I'm calling it, with all the societal distractions gone, uh, it's pretty ugly. <laughs> There's a lot in this country that needs to improve.
and that's why it's it's even a case point. There's nothing happening right now, and people are still losing interest. There's nothing. There's no distractions, and people are still losing interest. It's what? <laughs> like it's, I, I think people just don't enjoy operating in discomfort for long periods of time. And so that is something that needs to be addressed as well, right? It is a collective effort. And that is why I still believe that, you know, a leader is required or two leaders are required. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm rethinking it simply because you had said that, you know, I don't want anyone to die either, right? right. You know, um, but I do think that with that charisma, there is a certain power that may be required. And that's just my own take. One of the other ideas that's floating in my head, and I'd be curious as to your thought, what if the leader was white? I know that sounds absurd, but what if, would the end result be different? Because I don't, again, I don't want anyone dying and I'm curious about that. But anyway, that's just a random thought. I have many random thoughts. Some are appropriate, some are not, is what it is. I, no, I thought that that you're being honest, which I, I appreciate, even with the uncomfortableness or the awkwardness of the question sometimes. I appreciate when somebody's just trying to be honest with me and I know where their heart lies, right? They, they're actively trying to make a difference. I get that. You're looking for understanding and just trying to wrap your head around it and what the best solutions are. As far as the white leader thing, this is where I go to. I hate the idea of like black people having a leader. I, I want it to be more of a collective. But what I would say is that I would like white leaders to step up, especially in the educational aspect of things. I think that's important. Like I said earlier, I don't think that the onus is on black people anymore to explain what's happening. I think that white people need to kind of work on their own people, or at least people of non-color need to work on their own people. I think that's where it comes to those those dinners that you have at Thanksgiving or what have you. If there is a champion in the white community that could really be that leader to at least educate people on what's happening, I think that's extremely important. I think it's extremely important that we have white people step up. Like, my favorite figure in all history is Malcolm X. Malcolm X is my absolute hero. But I also, I hated a lot of what was happening with the Nation of Islam and what he was doing there. I always look at Malcolm X post-Mecca where he realized when he sat down and was praying with people with blonde hair and blue eyes, that he realized that a lot of what he was saying was wrong, that everyone needed to be a part of this. But he understood that his people probably needed more help than anybody else. He also understood that it was important for his people to realize and understand that we have to be able to do some of this stuff ourselves, just from a conscious, subconscious standpoint. You do better when you realize that you've been the one to, to, to help yourself. And you didn't help is okay, but you still have to be the main component of really making things better. But he knew that white people need to be a part of the conversation. Throughout history, there were abolitionists or other things that didn't look that weren't black that have been a part of it. So yeah, I'd like to see more white leaders step up, but I will never look at the Black Lives Matter thing as anything other than a movement. And in a movement, there will be voices that you hear. And those people, if you want to classify them as leaders, that's one thing. I just say that there are people that need to have their voices amplified because they can relay that message, which is where I'm thinking that my place is in this. So while I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a leader, I say that my particular point is to try to relay the message because I don't mind talking. And I think I can do it fairly eloquently here and there and here between here and there. Like that's my, that, that's just my role. I wouldn't look at it as a leadership as much as my role is to just get people more to have the conversation. The same way I look at my nephew, and I say he's a leader in his own right, but while I don't necessarily think he needs to be behind a microphone, he should be out there getting people riled up. He should be out there getting people to feel something. 
I think it'll, it, it's more than just a collective one person. I think that everybody can play their part in this. Yeah, no, that, that I agree. <laughs> you know, everyone playing their part does make sense. My only fear is that we could lose momentum, and I'm trying to figure out a way that in which that would not occur. By the way, for uh, folks listening right now, uh, the Nation of Islam, which was you know what Malcolm X was a part of uh, until very late on in his very short life, um, primarily thought of white people as sort of the devil, and that you know. It was primarily a black group, correct, Kadeem? Yeah, no, it was a, it yeah, was a, the nation, so it was a black the supremacist group. group. Yeah, it was a black supremacist group. And then Malcolm okay. X ends up, formerly known as Malcolm Little, ended up going over to Mecca doing that. And he found that it's the human race. You know, it's not about right. black supremacy. It's about everyone is equal. And so he distanced himself from that. And that ended up leading to his assassination, by the way. It is believed that the Nation of Islam were behind it based on the killer's of Malcolm X. It's a big part of it. I will say that what I what I want to be very careful of is the generalizing the nation of Islam. I don't think I'm not I'm not accusing you of doing that. What I'm saying is that you got to really look at the history of it, especially when it comes to nation of Islam. There were some things I can say personally I disagreed with when it came to them, but they did a lot more good than bad. A lot more good than bad. Um it, it just takes a light it takes a lot to like look into what like Elijah Muhammad was saying a lot of, I know very controversial figure as far as Louis Farrakhan. I disagree with a lot of what he says, but I also think he said a lot of extremely poignant things. Um, what they did as far as I wouldn't necessarily even say black supremacy as much as just letting black people know their history and their ability, which is if you, especially back then you had black people looked upon as second class people, not even human necessarily. And Elijah Muhammad, a nation of Islam, telling people, no, you got to look at your descendants. Go back to Africa and look at the kings and queens that you were. Take a look and see what you're actually capable of. When the nation of Islam used to have security patrols in certain neighborhoods along the same lines of the Black Panthers because they knew they couldn't trust the cops to properly police their communities. So they did it themselves. They had their own force of people and they did a good job of cracking down on some of the crime before you had the police and the FBI and everybody saying, well, we can't have militant black people with guns. It's a bad thing on surface level. And what they did as far as from an educational standpoint with a lot of uh, young black people, what they did, especially when it came to stopping the recidivism rate with a lot of blacks that went to jail during that period that came back out with not a lot of opportunity, they gave them purpose. Uh, using a family structure to 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 really get them to hone their abilities or their talents to do better. That's why when you talk to a Nation of Islam member, they don't drink alcohol. They don't get drunk. They don't use drugs. Those are all good things. They did a lot more good than bad. I know a lot of brothers still with the Nation of Islam, and they have done amazing things. So a lot of things that when we talk about that leadership aspect also is that a lot of times when you have a leader, sometimes movements can die because no human is perfect. Like if you had Martin Luther King right now, a lot of people don't even want to talk about the fact that he was having extramarital affairs. He wasn't a perfect human being. Lord knows in this cancel culture we have right now, if something like that came out about somebody that was a leader, they disregard them. Oh man, he can't, he can't be that. You see what I'm saying? Like it's just a, it's a careful balance we got to kind of strike. There's a lot more gray than people understand. It's not so black and white. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of imperfection. And we got to really kind of be fair on that. But we to, to make things more easily digestible, we kind of have to put things in certain categories to make it easier to play for us or easier to communicate to other people. 
But we got to really do the digging. It's uncomfortable. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of nuance, but it's very, very necessary. I greatly appreciate you making sure that that was said as well, that the Nation of Islam has done a lot more good than bad because as I was replaying what I had said in my head, it did come across that you know they were just a totally evil organization. So I greatly appreciate that. On the subject of leadership, uh, since this is more or less what we're doing, I think the perfect candidate, if it were to be a white person, Drew Brees, tying in sports as well. The mm-hmm. reason being that when he gave that interview to Yahoo and they talked about the Kaepernick protest and the flag, he had said, I will never do anything to disrespect the flag. I will never get behind anything like that. Next thing you know, cancel culture kicks in. A lot of people dislike that, but people yeah. were on Drew Brees' side there. And he comes out of it two days later, acting, you know, Donald Trump on Twitter, on Instagram, going, hey, through conversations with teammates, with family, with friends, it has come to light for me that it has never been about the flag. It has been about police brutality. Show me someone that's going to assassinate Drew Brees. Certainly no one in New Orleans. They need him to play quarterback. <laughs> so maybe one of the NFC South uh, teams will be like, you know what, this is our chance. We got an excuse now. But I honestly think, like, it's it's just a it's sort of a thought experiment for me right now and something I'm still going through because that it, it interests me. It does I don't disagree me. with you. Like, it's not one of those things where I'm like, oh, I hate that idea or whatever, right? Like, it... it to me, it's just I've seen it go bad so many times. I like your idea as far as where you're coming from on Drew, Ble- Drew Brees. I'll be the first to say when he when that interview got released on Yahoo, while I wasn't on some cancel culture sort of thing, he pissed me off. Extremely pissed me off when he was still making about something other than what it was. But there's no telling. Everyone knows how important Drew has been to that community in New Orleans, which is predominantly black. He's been a very, very, he's been an ally for years and he's shown through his actions what he's been able to and want and willing to do for people. Um, it's just once I, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, I said it to a lot of people, ignorance is not a bad thing. Ignorance just is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity for someone to teach someone. Willful ignorance is a completely different thing, which is where Drew kind of get in trouble with a few people that like, all right, well, if you did any more digging, you wouldn't have had that same thought as far as the flag deal. Right. But what I will give people credit for is changing. You have to give people credit for changing and no, it's not, it's not easy. No, it's not an overnight light switch sort of thing. I think Drew Brees is still making progress. I don't think Drew Brees has it all figured out, but as far as somebody that was able to be vulnerable enough to admit his faults and to change his opinion and to be strange and and he's still a work in progress and he's working towards that. I think that those are the attributes of a leader. So I'd say that Drew Brees, whether he likes it or not, is already a leader and he needs to continue to use his platform in that manner. Well, Drew Brees, um, I know you're listening right now. So just, just (laughs) think it over a little bit. We we might be onto something here. Um, Kadeen, thank you so much for your time being on the podcast again. Again, you're essentially a co-host at this point, and I'm really glad that we're taking the time to talk about these things that can be uncomfortable, but also are very important to get out there and make sure people understand just how big of a task this is without overwhelming them at the same time. We're mentally preparing people for what needs to be done and hoping for a more positive outlook moving forward for everyone. Kadeen, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Ahmed. And when I, I, I want to do this one more time and tackle that other issue as far as racism um, with you at some point. But I, I, this was extremely important for me to get this out. I really appreciate using your platform, man. I love you to death. Um, you're very important, man. And um, you deserve all your kudos for the work you're doing. Thank you. 
Much appreciated, Kadeen. You know I love you too. And uh, yeah, it sounds like we're going to be doing another one. And it makes sense. We can even do one a couple months from now when, you know, there's a chance that this dies down and we bring it right back up. So that Absolutely. could be something we do to keep the conversation going is space this out now and then as well. So thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your evening and we'll catch you later, buddy. Thank you, brother.